Well, hello once again, and welcome to Chase Oaks, and welcome to The Gamble. It's been really cool, by the way, the Feel Better boxes we just heard, um, to uh, just to hear stories already of uh, so many people reaching out to neighbors, reaching out to friends, um, just as a way, as a Jesus follower, to express love in a tangible way when somebody's sick. And so I hope you'll take advantage of that, and I hope you're doing okay, too, and let us know if you're not. Um, because we want to, uh, we want to pray for you. We want to help you any way that we can in this, uh, in this season that we're in right now. So today we are continuing our series called the gamble, which is about the bit, some of the bad bets that we base our lives on. Some of the assumptions we have, we've just grown up in our culture. It's like breathing oxygen. It's just the way we think. And, and we don't even know how some of these things are working against us. They're really bad bets. Um, a number of years ago, a uh, long time ago, actually like 70 years ago or 80 years ago, uh, my mom, she wouldn't like me saying those numbers, but my mom uh, was a little preschooler and her dad was a pastor who traveled around the country at the time a lot speaking. Uh, so my granddad and they were in Las Vegas and my granddad was not uh, into gambling. <laughs> like he was not the kind of pastor who was like, well, if it's in moderation, it's OK. He was a little harder uh, on that. Then, then, then maybe I would be, um, but, uh, so they were, so he would never go in a casino, but they were driving through and in the, uh, in a gas station that they stopped in, there were slot machines. And my mom saw all the lights and all the thing. And she, and she wanted to put money, quarter, nickel, whatever it was in the slot machine. And he said, no, we don't do that, honey. No. And she just kept begging and begging because she really wanted to do that. And so he thought, you know what? It'd be a really great way to teach her a lesson and that all, all this is you just put your money in and nothing happens. And so she told him, she said, honey, you know, you're going to put your money in. I'll give you the money and you can do anything you want with it. But if you do it that, then you just need to know it's going to go in there. They call it the one arm bandit because it's just going to steal your money. And that's all this is. And you can already guess, can't you, what happened? Uh, you kind of smell it. Uh, she she put the nickel in, pulled the thing down. Jackpot. And she thought it was the coolest thing ever, right? As all these nickels are coming out everywhere and the lights are flying. Because even bad bets occasionally work out. They do. Um, but they don't work out very often. And even when they work out, they don't work out very long. And, and that's why in this series, we're shining the light of Jesus, shining the light of Scripture, the Bible, to just say, hey, some of these things, like it's the truth that will set us free uh, from some of the bad bets we base our lives on. And so we've, this is week four already in this uh, five-week series. And today we're talking about contentment. Uh, today we're talking in a consumer culture that kind of has this bet that we can consume our way to contentment, that we can consume our way to a good life, that we can consume our way to joy. And really contentment is just, if I have a little bit more or just a little bit better, then I'll be set, then I'll be content. That really drives our culture in and, 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 and that, hey, a little bit more and then I'll be good, then I'll be sad, then I'll be happy, um, you know, seems, you know, right. And, uh, you know, seems like it makes sense, but it raises the question, well, how much is enough? You know, last week, um, somebody won the Mega Millions lottery, $776 million one-time payout. I'm really praying there, Chase Oker, who tithes. Uh, I, that's my big prayer this week. So far, I haven't seen anything like that come in. Uh, but here's hoping. Um, but, uh, you know, would that be enough? 776 million, you might think, you know, that might do it for me. That might be enough. 
uh, years ago, this is like 15 years ago, the Gallup organization did a study to try to find out in people's minds, well, how much would be enough? I mean, everybody wants more, but how much would you say, you know what, if I had that, I'd be good. I'd be set. And what they found from all the answers is that it was a, very much a sliding scale. So for people who made around $30,000 a year, on average, their answer was, you know what, if I could make like $74,000, I'd never want anything else in my life. I can't imagine having that. But it'd be amazing. That would be enough. Now, some of you make like $74,000 a year and you're like, hey, I hate to tell you, but it's not quite like you think. Uh, then there were people who made $50,000 and they're on average. They said, man, if on $100,000, like if I, if we, if I could make $100,000, I'd be set. I wouldn't need anything else. I'd be happy. I'd be all good. And some of you make that much and you'd be like, yeah, I hate to tell you, but it's not that easy. Now it kept going up uh, all the way up to people who made in the upper six figures. And for them, the answer wasn't about more income but about assets, investable assets. And what they said on average, that if I had $5 million of investments, then I'd be set. I wouldn't need any more. Now, a few of you, I guess, have that much, which good for you. It's awesome. And, uh, and I don't know what you'd say. Um, I do know what uh, John D. Rockefeller said um, back around the turn of the century, the wealthiest American in history. He was a billionaire at the turn of the century. Uh, so compared to the billionaires today, he just had crazy amount of wealth. And they asked him one time, how much is enough? And his answer was just a little bit more than I already have. And that's the problem with trying to get in a consumer culture because it's always a moving target. It's all, you know, that more, more, more or better, better, better then I'll be content never really happens. And it can take us down a really bad trail. It's kind of like I've used this illustration before. Pac-Man, do you remember that game? You know, the video game, the wonka, 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 and the little dots. It's just kind of the next thing, right? Wonka, 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 wonka. And you end up going to a really bad place and you don't even know you're driven by just thing after thing after thing. Now, I think a lot of us know that, know what I'm talking about. And you're like, yeah, I know, you know, life, like Jesus said one time, life does not consist in a multitude of things. Like, like a life that is full of stuff is really not that great of a life. I mean, that's not what life's about. And I think we'd all say, yeah, I know that. I mean, we all know it up here. And yet, if you're like me, we tend to live as if that's not true. Because there's always reminders of, of things that we don't have that we kind of want. And then it gets into our mind, at least it does for me. Like I haven't played golf in about a year now because I have a, a shoulder injury. And, uh, and I, you know, got a shot. I'm going to try to get back in it if I can. And, and I know when I go back and play with the people I play with, it's been a year. My clubs are going to feel so old. Like they're going to have a new driver that I don't have. They're going to have a new something I don't have. And they're going to hit it 10 yards further than me or 20 yards further than me. And it's going to get in my head. And I'm perfectly happy with my set of golf clubs. But I won't be after that. And, it, and it'll be working on me, working on me. I've got to have it. Like, I need it. It's not just a want. It's a need. God, I need it. You know, I, and, uh, and some of you are like, that's stupid. God, well, for you, okay, it's a rug or kitchen cabinets or whatever, right? And you're fine until you go to somebody's house and you watch HDTV. And then it's like, ah, you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with stuff. That's not the thing. There's nothing wrong with getting a new rug. It's just if we think that more, more, more is going to get us to a place of joy and contentment and all that, I think we know that's messed up. But that's our culture. 
that we can consume our way to a great life. And so today I want us to live better than that because God wants us to. And what we're going to look at today, and this is the phrase out of the Bible, is today we're going to get the secret of contentment. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament said he learned the secret of contentment. He's going to pass it on to you and me, which is pretty cool because the secret of contentment is talking about a kind of life that's just good no matter what the circumstances. It's not about more. It's not even about better circumstances. It's people who can be content if life is not so great, if life circumstances are awesome, if they have more than enough, if they have less than they need. Whatever there they can be content and that's what paul's going to talk about the happiest people on the planet Know this secret And I believe god wants us to know it and to live it too So that's what we're going to talk about and and it's in philippians 4 in the new testament If you follow if you're following me along in your bible app on your phone or in your bible And it's a it's a really cool passage and it's one uh, one of the verses you'll probably be familiar with Even if you don't you're not a church person like church is not something you do um, I can do all things, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You ever heard of that verse? Um, I bet you've seen it somewhere. Again, even if you're not a church person, like uh, athletes love it. I can do all things through Christ. Steph Curry has it on his basketball shoes. Works pretty well for him. You know, maybe that's what I need to do to get better at basketball. Um, Evander Holyfield, the boxer, when he when he went into the ring with Mike Tyson, he had it. Uh, sewn on his robe that he went into the ring with to encourage him. And you know what? It worked. He beat Mike Tyson. Um, unfortunately, however, he wore that same robe when he fought Lennox Lewis and it didn't work out so well for him. Then uh, he got cream. Um, he got beat because it's actually a real misunderstanding of the passage. This, this passage is maybe one of the better known in the Bible, but it's also one of the more abused passages in the Bible, misunderstood, misused passages in the Bible, because we kind of use it like this motivational thing, like whatever I want to do, it's a catch all. Whatever I want to do, I can do because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it doesn't matter how crazy or stupid or whatever it is. If I want to do it, you know, then I can do it because Christ is going to strengthen me. But that's not what it's about. Uh, you may remember um, Tim Tebow when he played. I mean, he still commentates and stuff, but um, he put Philippians 4.13, you know, when he played, when he was quarterback at Florida um, and on into his pro career too. Uh, had it like right under here. He put Philippians 4.13. And it was really interesting because I heard him do this uh, interview or actually read an interview where they asked him about it. Why do you do that? What's that about? And uh, And I was expecting the typical thing, but it wasn't. He got it so right. He said, well, he said, most people think when they see that and it's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that it's about me having a great game and throwing the football or running and doing all this stuff really great. And that's I'm counting on Jesus to help me do that. But he said, that's not what it's about. He said, for me, he said that that verse is is not about that. The verse is about contentment. And and for me, Philippians 4.13 is a reminder that I can be good. Whether I win or lose, whether I do well or poorly, because of Christ, I'm okay. That's what the verse is about. He got it right. And so let's look at through the whole. This is about contentment. And so let's look at the whole passage. Paul says this to the Philippian church. So he's writing to this church, just like you're a church, the church of Philippi. This is a church that he started. 
and now is uh, not with them. And so he writes in this letter, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Now, this is a financial concern. They've given him a financial gift. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it earlier. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's our verse. He's talking about the secret of contentment. Now, it's interesting because he's, he's writing to this church that gave him financial help when he didn't have money to meet his financial needs. Um, he's in a tough situation. For about two and a half years, Paul has been in different prisons, in prison for his faith. He didn't steal something or something like that. He was in prison for his faith and totally not fair, totally not cool. Any of us would be disappointed, upset, frustrated, all that. But he really wasn't. Um, he sees every place he goes, he goes from prison because he starts in Israel and he goes all the way to Rome because as a Roman citizen, he's able to have his uh, have his trial tried by Caesar himself. So on the way, he goes prison to another prison to this long boat trip shipwreck and then finally to Rome, where as a Roman citizen for this kind of crime, he can be under house arrest, but it has to be chained to a Roman guard, but it has to be at his expense. And he has no money. He's been in these different prisons for two years. And so he doesn't have enough. He doesn't get food until he gets this gift from the Philippian church to make up for that. And so he's thanking him for it. But notice how he does it, because he says, hey, I really, man, thank you. So awesome. Really, really good that you did that. Really, really appreciate it. But you need to know I would have been happy whether I got it or not. I would have been fine. Um, I, 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 it, it was awesome, but it's not something I actually needed because I've learned to be content in any circumstance, whether I don't have enough to eat or I have more than enough, whether I'm in a bad circumstance or a good circumstance, I've learned the secret of contentment. He says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And what that tells us is, is that the secret of contentment is not more money. It's not better circumstances. I mean, that's what we tend to think, right? Hey, I'll be fine once I, you know, there's always something, right? Once I, um, once I make this amount of money or, or once I get this kind of job or once I get my forever house, uh, once I, um, once I find the right guy or find the right girl or once we're able to have children or once we're able, whatever it is, right? There's always something. Once I do that, then I'll be fine. Now, Paul is saying, yeah, that's not the secret of contentment because the secret of contentment means even if you don't get the job, you don't get the house, you don't get the guy, you don't get the girl, whatever's going on, you have too much or too little, you can be content. Because the secret of contentment is not circumstances. It's not more. It's not better. It's something else. And that's where Philippians 4.13 comes in. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's the secret of contentment. And it's profound. It's kind of abstract. But it's very real for those who find it and choose to live into it. The secret of contentment is Jesus. It's not more money. It's not better circumstances. It's more Jesus. It's centering our lives in him Finding our trust, finding or putting our trust in him, 
so that we're so full, our life is so full of him that we can actually live out of the overflow so that we're not grasping onto anything because our life is full. Another way to say it is the the secret is Jesus having him in our life, trusting him and focusing our lives on his mission. Hebrews 13, 5 talks about it this way. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now, there's a couple Bible verses in the Bible. I can still remember when I first read them. I first read this verse. I was probably 18 years old. And I remember reading, just reading. It's toward the end of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And it just like knocked me off my chair. Because when it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God said, never will I leave you. What he's saying is this. Be content with what you have, because what do you have? You have the God who will never leave you and will never forsake you and promises to provide for you when you trust him. And what more could you want? And that's the secret of contentment. Why be worried about all this other stuff? Walk, walk, walk. When you have God in your life, you have Jesus. And when our life is so full of him, we can actually live out of the overflow of that and live, live freely and live generously and live fully because we trust him. That's what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, hey, don't worry about all the stuff that all the people who don't believe in Jesus worry about all the time. What you eat or what you wear or your house or whatever. Just all this stuff. Like, don't worry about that. Don't let your life be consumed by consumption. It, it just leads to a nothing life. Instead, he says, focus on Jesus. You know, he, he says, just, you know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that other stuff will be added to you. It's choosing to focus our lives on him and trusting him. Giving us the ability to live freely and fully and generously. And that's where that's why you'll find that the people who've learned the secret of contentment. I've met some who are the poorest of the poor. I've met some who are the wealthiest of the wealthy. It doesn't matter what their circumstances are. It's people whose lives are full of Jesus and they're living generous lives, not grasping, but giving. And God is supplying and life is like a kick in the pants for them. And Paul wants us to know it. And he wants the Philippian church to know it. And so he goes on and he says this to them. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Saying, look, I'm not like saying, you know, hey, I didn't really need it. I mean, it was really cool that you did this. I I appreciate it. Because having more is better than having not enough. I mean, you know, if if I'm going to choose, you know, sometimes people are like, well, money doesn't bring happiness. And, you know, like billionaires will say that and say, well, why don't you give, let me try it. Like, it's not working for you, but maybe it'll work for me. And we know, okay, it doesn't bring happiness, but still it's better. And so Paul's saying, yeah, it was good of you to share my troubles. I appreciate it. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He's talking about eternal reward. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 
Now that verse, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Another one that's very familiar if you've been around church very much and very abused. Because it's sort of this other catch all. I can do all things through Christ says I can do anything I want and Jesus will help me do it. That's not what it's about. It's about contentment. This one, you know, I can do anything I want with money and do whatever. And it doesn't matter because God's promised to meet all my needs and provide all my financial needs according to his riches. And so I can be stupid. I can do whatever. And God will God will meet my needs. And if he doesn't, I'm going to be really upset about it. But that's not what it's about. Because this promise is a condition. It's not given to everybody. It's given to a certain group of people. People like the Philippians. People who give generously. And what God is saying is, if you can fill your life with me so much so that you don't grasp what you have because you're not looking to it for life, you give away what you have. You, you live a generous life, a, generosity, a generous driven life, not a consumption driven life. Then I'll supply your needs. And the more you give, I'll just keep supplying your needs. Like you're not going to outgive God. You give and God will provide. Like he says in 2 Corinthians, he'll give seed to the sower. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. All through the scriptures, this is like a principle that God is saying, hey, he is generous to the generous. And you could hold on to it and you'll be on your own. But if you want to invite God's enablement into your financial life, then just give, be generous. And what you'll find is you're not going to be more generous than God. He will supply seed to the sower. He will supply. He will be generous to the generous. Um, I remember uh, years ago, my one of my spiritual mentors that I talk about from time to time uh, is a lady named Miss Helen. I mean, she's been in heaven for a long time now. Um, when I was in high school and college, really starting in junior high, I, it was the first time I met her. And she was just this contagiously joyful, godly person. Uh, she was in her 70s when I was in middle school, all, and I knew her all the way into her 90s. And when I was in college, I guess she was in her 80s. And, and she really taught me what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. You know, you hear that and you think, what does that even mean? Like, how do you spend time with God? How do you get things out of the Bible? How do you pray? That kind of thing she taught me how to do. And, and she taught me how to journal. And so I would, um, I would, you know, look at the Bible and pray and write my prayers and my thoughts and what God was teaching me in, in that journal. And every Monday night when I was in college, I had a standing thing where I would go to her apartment and bring food. And she did this with a lot of people. Um, and I would bring my journal and she would pull out her journal and I would share what God taught me that week. And she always acted like it was the most profound thing she ever heard. And it wasn't. I mean, I was 18, 19. I don't know what it, you know, what I was saying. It probably didn't make any sense. But she was always so excited about it. Well, I got concerned about her because the more I found out, the more I realized she just lives off Social Security. And I mean, it wouldn't even cover. I mean, I just knew her expenses and her income. It wasn't a good ratio. And so I was concerned about her financially. And so I decided to, I mean, I was a college student, so I didn't have a lot of money, but I got every bit of money I could get, put it in cash, um, stuck it in an envelope. This was like on a Thursday, shoved it under her apartment door and, uh, right. You know, did a ring and run, you know, did the doorbell, ran away. 
And uh, on Monday, I come for, you know, with my journal and all that to do the Bible thing. And at the end of our time, right before I'm leaving, she said, Jeff, I have something I want to give you. Uh, She said, I've been praying about this since Thursday because God gave me something. And I've been praying, God, why did you give me this and who should I give it to? And I decided as I prayed and prayed, God just kept bringing you to mind. And so I'm going to give it to you. And she gave me that envelope that I'd given her. And I said, Miss Helen, look, I'm not trying to question your, you know, you and God. I know are like this and I, you know, but but uh, but I think this time you might have your wires crossed. Like, I think whoever whoever gave you this wasn't giving it for me. He was giving it for you. And, and you need to keep it like you need it. And and uh, she said, Jeff, no, that's not why God gives money. God gives money so that I can be generous with it. He gives seed to the sower. And this is my opportunity and you can take it away from me and say no, but I'd like you to say yes, because I want to give it to you. And then she said, Jeff, I want you to look at me in the eyes and I want you to promise me something. That you won't worry about me. Financially. Because I have a heavenly father. And that's his job. And he provides everything I need so that I can be generous. Please give me the opportunity to do this. I said, no, no, I didn't. Of course, I, I took my money back, you know, and then, you know, I don't know what I did with it. Probably something stupid, but I know what I should have done with it. I have no idea what I do with it. Um, I've never forgotten that moment. I've never forgotten that story. But I can also say I've never lived that freely financially either. I'm learning uh, over time, I've, you know, I, I've learning, like Paul said, this is something you have to learn. I've, I've learned to be content. This is not, you don't, it's not something we're born with. It's not something that comes like this. But here's a person who's so full of Jesus. She lives out of the overflow, trusts God to provide, and therefore is focused her financial life around generosity, not around consumption. And no wonder she was the happiest person I've ever met. Because that same trait is true of all, the happiest people that I know. And some of those people are in poverty. Some of those people are wealthy. It's interesting that, Jesus, that Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance, whether I have not enough or too much. Because you think, well, that's easy. When you have too much, it's easy to be content. No, it's not. In fact, what I've seen in my life is that when I go into, like in our global fund and all our projects, when I go to the poorest of the poor... Versus when I come back here in a wealthy, globally wealthy environment, I find a whole lot more contented people who are the poorest of the poor than I do by a culture like us that has way more than we need and fueled by more. Doesn't make sense, but it's the way it is. And it just feeds our culture. And we lose if we live that way. It's a bad bet. And so what I'd like us to do, we're going to pray and, and, and really an opportunity to learn the secret of contentment. And it's a process. And so let's just, let's just take a step. And I think you learn by doing, you don't just learn cognitively, but you say, you know what, I'm going to start trusting God. I'm going to start being generous because a lot of times it's like, well, I'll, you know, when I'll, I'll be generous when I have enough. And that's not the way it works. God, you, you be generous and then God, you invite God's enablement in your life. You honor God with your, with what he's given you, you do what he's, and then that's what you do. And so let's just As we go to God, I want you to think about several things. One is, for some of you, this may be an opportunity to begin a relationship with God. If you don't have Jesus in your life, well, that's the most important decision you can ever make. 
And he wants your life to be so filled with his presence that you can live open handed because, like he said, you have it all. You have him. And for those of us who have that, it's an opportunity to say, you know what, what am I what am I feel, trying to grasp for, for meaning, for life, for joy? What am I trying to grasp for that's not Jesus? And maybe it's time to just say, you know what, I'm good. Another question to ask is, what am I, what am I grabbing hold of so tightly that I don't have open hands for Jesus to fill it? Like, what am I grabbing hold of that I need to let go of? Those are really big questions. And let's go to God with them right now, wherever you are, in prayer. And I invite you, first of all, if you have yet to maybe open your life to Jesus and his presence in your life. He loves you. He came to this planet to make it possible for you to know him. And he wants to fill your life. He's not trying to take anything from you. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's trying to... Uh, connect you with God in a way that can transform your life and make everything better and more meaningful and more significant. And, and so it might be just you saying, God, I, I, I want you in my life. I want to begin a relationship with you. I know I've sinned. I know what's happened. I, I know what I deserve. But you sent Jesus to pay for my sins, the penalty, so that I could be forgiven and that you could fill my life with everything good. The Bible says that when we begin a relationship with Jesus, they were given everything, every spiritual blessing, everything. And God, I just ask you for your presence and your forgiveness in my life. And then others of us, an opportunity just to ask God some of those questions. God, whatever's holding me back from living a life of faith and generosity, whatever I'm holding on to, whatever I'm grasping for, God, would you rescue me from myself? I don't want my life to be about consumption. I want my life to be about you and your purposes and generosity and allow you to fill my life with everything good and to provide for me as I provide for others and to live that kind of life. And would you help me just to go ahead and take steps now, not to wait until I'm good or wait till I'm ready or wait till I have more than I need because it'll never happen. I'll always just want more, more, more. I don't, don't let me don't let me lose that game. God, help me learn and live the secret of contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.